Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Today's episode is about whole brain living, how a stroke changed this doctor's perception of everything. On today's episode, we'll be featuring our guest, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor is a Harvard-trained and published neuroanatomist. And in 1996, she experienced a severe hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of her brain, causing her to have a stroke and lose the ability to walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of her life. Her memoir, which is one of my personal favorites called My Stroke of Insight, documents her experience with stroke and her eight-year recovery, and the book actually spent 63 weeks on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list. And in 2008, she gave the first TED Talk that ever went viral on the internet, which now has well over 27 million views. And in 2008, Dr. Taylor was also chosen as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. And today we'll be diving into her new book, Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice, and the Four Characters That Drive Our Life. Thank you so much for joining. I am excited to be with you. Likewise. So um, Jill, so let's dive right in. You recently wrote the book, Whole Brain Living, which I had the pleasure to read. And I'd love for you to just uh, kick it off and tell the audience, what does whole brain living mean exactly? You know, we've uh, we've been taught to believe this myth that we only use 10% of our brain. And that's simply not true. Uh, neurons are very social creatures inside of their neural network. So you can rest assured that if it's alive, if it's a cell and it's alive and it's inside of your head, it's hooked up to a network. Now, we may not have complete understanding about what is going on in there, but if it's alive and if it's in your head, you're using it. So whole brain living is really introducing the concept that uh, we have these magnificent collections of cells inside of our head, and we, based on how they are structurally organized, we have much more power over what's going on inside of our head than we've ever been trained. And uh, Jill, you also talk about the four characters. Can you talk about why getting to know them is so important? So as we think about what we've been taught, also uh, another myth about our brain is that our right brain is our emotional brain and our left brain is our rational thinking brain. And although it is true that our left thinking tissue is our rational mind, our emotional tissue is evenly divided between the two hemispheres. So we have a right emotional system and a left emotional system. Although they process the same information coming in from the external world, they process that information in completely different ways. And so then we have have this left thinking tissue, this left emotional tissue, this right emotional tissue, and this right thinking tissue. And each of them are these modules of cells that manifest not just skill sets, but along with those skill sets come these characters. And so I just call them the four characters. 
And when you know who your four characters are, then you all of a sudden know what your choices are. So in the title, when it says the anatomy of choice, a lot of people will say we or you say to someone, you know, if if you, you know, you could have made a better choice. And they say, well, if I'd have known a better choice, don't you think I would have made a better choice? And so when we know each of these four characters and what they value, then we really do understand what our choices are. And then we get to pick and choose moment by moment who we want to be in the world. And it really equates to total personal freedom. Wow. Yeah. I was so fascinated reading this section on the four characters. And I'm wondering if we can double click and give examples on what do you mean by the emotional left brain and the you know emotional right brain? Like what are some of the um, ways that you're defining that? And I think also it'd be really cool to maybe share an example of how you are able to regulate these four characters in your life. Because as I was going through this process, I was like, wow, I, it's so unfamiliar to me to perceive the world with these four characters. And I think it definitely takes practice to be able to do it, but it also feels incredibly liberating. You know, for example, um, I always thought that, you know, this, this kind of uh, analytical side, but also this level of judgment for me in my left emotional brain um, is something that, you know, I didn't realize that it was something that I could regulate as a, its own kind of persona or character within me. And I'm realizing that so much of my life is about protecting protecting myself um, through that character. So just knowing that it exists is feels so uh, interesting and liberating. So yeah, if you could just share a couple examples of, you know, what are the, um, the, the ways that you could define each of those, those characters and, and what does it mean for you? Absolutely. So first of all, it, it's so important for us to recognize that every ability we have, we have because we have cells that perform that function. So I can wiggle my finger because I have cells that perform that function. I can speak language because I have cells specifically designed to perform that function. I experience anger because I have cells that perform those functions. So then the question is, okay, where in my brain are those specific cells that do those very specific things? And are they packaged together? And what does it feel like when I'm actually experiencing those protocols? So first of all, when you think about the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, information about the present moment is streaming in through our sensory systems. And in the right hemisphere, the information streams off into our emotional system first. And, and so let me say, period, when information comes in from our sensory systems, it goes into our emotional systems first, and then it gets passed up into our higher thinking cortex. So as human beings, we really are feeling creatures who think. We're feeling creatures who think instead of thinking creatures who feel. And that's really important because many of us think about ourselves as intellectuals and we don't really value our emotions and we don't reflect on our emotions. We just kind of squash them down. But ultimately, emotions are like a pipe. And if you've got information, if you've got emotions streaming through, eventually it's going to get so condensed in there that something's going to have to give. And, um, and it's usually our mental health and our well-being. So start with that. So we have this emotional tissue on each side of our brains. And information comes in through the sensory systems and it goes into the right emotional system 
And the right emotion is all about the present moment. So I have an explosion of experience in the right here, right now experience. And then the tissue added on top of that is my higher thinking tissue of my right brain. And that's also right here in the present moment. Well, in the present moment, there's no judgment. There's no organization. There's no categorization. There's no methodical thinking. It's just the experience of the present moment. And the left hemisphere is very different in that when that information streams into the left emotional system, then it automatically compares it to everything I've ever experienced emotionally in the past. And my brain is saying, is this something that feels familiar? And is there a reason for me to push away from it because it is a threat or it is something that I would perceive as dangerous? So the left hemisphere is going to then have a past and a present and a future as and so the emotions of the left brain are past present future as is the higher thinking of that left brain which is why it is our rational thinking brain because it can remember everything in the past and it can project into the future so so that's the fundamental the right hemisphere is in the present moment the left hemisphere has a temporality it goes across time so when i look if you take a human brain and you open it up then you've got a corpus callosum which is some 300 million axonal fibers and they they're those fibers are there so that comparable cells in one half of the hemisphere can communicate with the same cells in the opposite hemisphere and either ex excite or inhibit those. So there's always both hemispheres are, are running circuits at the same time, but one group of cells is is always inhibiting the comparable group of cells in the opposite hemisphere so so that somebody is dominant. So if you take a brain and you open it up, the, the left thinking is what I call character one. And character one, left thinking, is our rational brain. And this is the part that likes order and it likes to control people, places, and things. It has language, it has a past, it has a future, and it has language so that it can communicate in the external world. So that's the part of our character that goes to work. And I encourage people to name their characters. And I have named that character for me, Helen. It's Hell on Wheels, she gets jobs done. And so when I'm going to work or when I, and it's that part of me that knows how to be punctual and, and how to work the computer computer and how to do all those details. So that's our character one. We all have that character. For some of us, that's our primary character. For some of us, that's a part of ourselves that doesn't appeal to us very often, but hopefully we have enough that we can create order in our lives and uh, live a, a, a healthy existence in the external world. So character one is that left thinking, I'm going to go to work. Character two is the left emotion. And this is all of our emotion and pain from the past. So this is the part of me that is going to, if I see someone and I had been hurt emotionally by someone similar to that, it's going to be that emotional part of me that says, no, that person's not safe. Or let's say I've been bit by a dog and now I see another dog and I, my left emotional brain character two is going to remember that. And I'm going to be wary in the presence of that dog so I can protect myself.
So the left emotion has a past and it has a future. And so I have named my little character number two, Abby, which stands for abandoned, because the moment I came out of that womb where I was in direct flow with my mother's body and I existed in the present moment, all of a sudden I was burst out into this world. There was temperature, there was sound, there was visual sights and lights. And I'm sure all of me felt totally accosted. And I probably, that was the root of my experience of feeling abandonment. So I call her Abby, short for abandonment, and everyone should name their own. Character number three is the emotion of the present moment. And the present moment is right here, right now. It's exciting. It's interesting. There's no judgment because it's the left brain that does the judging. So it is curious. It is interested. It is innovative. It is excitable. And it's playful. This is the part of us that just is right here, right now. Well, it's gorgeous out. Let's go for a walk. Or, or uh, you know, it's, it's raining out. Let's go stomp in mud puddles and make a mess. And and let's just be creative. And let's, let's find a piece of stone and sculpt it out and see what's in there and and let's 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 create something without judgment. So that's the little character three. And I call my little character three Pigpen, because if you're familiar with the Schultz, um, uh, Charles Schultz cartoon, Pigpen was the one that, that was always walking around in a dust storm. And he was right here right now. And he was always a mess because he was just right here without judgment. And he was present and interested and curious. Uh, so I call mine Pigpen because she's always making a mess and she's always making a mess. She is a mess. <laughs> She's a happy mess. And then the right thinking brain tissue, this is where our intuition is stored. And what is intuition? Intuition at the level of our brain is the ability to, in the absence of all judgment, bring in the present moment, big picture experience, and relate different pieces together as though it is all connected together. So this is the part of us that, that is wise and open and expanded and has the capacity to connect to the energy all around us because the right brain doesn't even have boundaries of where I begin and where I end. The left brain actually has a group of cells in our, our left parietal brain that creates a holographic image inside of my mind of my body. So I, I know where I begin and end. I know that I am me and these glasses on my face are not me because my left brain tells me that. But in the absence of that left brain, all I am is atoms and molecules in flow and in motion and in connection to everything that is in motion and flow around me. So those are the four characters. And I call my fourth, my character four, Queen Toad. I call her a queen because she's big as the universe and she's all knowing and she's wise and she's magnificent. And I add Toad to that because She's a complete goofball and we really don't take ourselves seriously because we know that life is this magnificent gift. It's this poor, we are, this body is a portal through which we get to live this amazing experience as a living being. And in a flash, it can be gone. And we're just filled with gratitude that we had the experience at all. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I think that is such a powerful frame for us to think about. And 
after this, I'm going to go and name those four characters for myself. So thank you for that. And, you know, I'm really curious, um, if, you know, if someone knows that, let's say one of their characters is way, you know, stronger, um, than others, do you think that that, you know, could be a problem or do you like suggest that people, um, you know, bring their characters together? I know you have this concept called the brain huddle, how you can train, the four characters to work with each other is, is it more important for them to work with each other or is it more important to balance them? Well, I think it is in the balance that we, we go into the huddle. So I call it a brain huddle, which is, um, you know, the title of this book is whole brain living and it's whole brain, meaning all four of those characters. And at a neuroanatomical level, at a brain level, we all have these four characters. Now, we might find that we are extremely skewed to the left brain, especially in our Western culture, because the left hemisphere values different things than the right hemisphere. The left hemisphere values where do I stand on the hierarchy? Because it's all about creating order and organizing details. And I'm one of the details in our society. So where do I fall on that scale? How much money do I make? What kind of material items do I have? How big is my house compared to everyone else on that hierarchy? So the left brain is driven from by the external world and the values of the external world looking in. The right hemisphere is right right here, right now. It doesn't care about any of those things. It cares about bringing life into the present moment experience. So in our Western culture, we are very skewed to the left hemisphere where we have a very powerful right hemisphere. And many of us have a very powerful fear and, and pain-based character too, our emotions. Everything schedules around me because part of the left brain is the ability for me as language to identify myself as that holographic image as separate from the whole. And if that's that, I now have an ego and my ego center is in my left brain. And so it now becomes me and mine versus you and yours. And the thing about the judgment in that left brain is it likes what is familiar. So this is why we have racism. Racism, that part, we are wired for racism. We we look out into the world and we say, what does familiar feel safe? And what does not feel familiar does not feel safe. And so I push it away and it becomes a me and mine and a you and they, and it's the separation. So we are biologically programmed for the separation, but at the same time, our right brain is biologically programmed for the tribe. We are humanity. We are brothers and sisters on this planet. And the, the right brain looks at people who are different and it approaches them with curiosity. You look different from me. Tell me, let me learn from you. Let me grow in the presence of you. Let me become more full and more diverse in my understanding of what humanity is because of our differences. So these two hemispheres are completely different in how they organize that information. And some of us are more right-brained and some of us are more left-brained based. And uh, But the ultimate goal is to be all of it because we wanna be able to have a relationship with each of our four characters so that we can, first of all, that, that left hemisphere is also our stress 
circuitry. And too much stress is distress. And distress dumps enough of adrenaline and enough of, of my adrenals in overdrive that it actually brings illness to my body. So we need to get out of the past. We need to get out of our fear of the future. We need to bring ourselves to the present moment. It's how our brain kind of takes a relaxation. And this is when we open ourselves to possibilities instead of just doing the same old, same old, same old routine that the left brain does. So I, I think the, the goal is to balance all of those four characters to get to know well each of your char four characters, because then, then you can step out, you can recognize when am I spending too much time on my schedule and I'm working too hard and, and I'm, not, I'm not taking care of myself, which means giving my system a break from that kind of control, go, 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 methodical thinking and I just open myself up to the potential and the possibility which is where which is life giving so so the ultimate goal is then to have open communication and I do that in what I call the brain huddle and that's when all four characters come online and they actually communicate with one another in order to determine what is our my brain's a team what is our best next move in this specific circumstance in order for me to have the best outcome for all of my characters. Oh, wow. And I just was thinking that, um, with social media, um, I bet that the left emotional brain is, you know, doing a lot more comparison these days. So I imagine that, you know, it's something that we really have to regulate even more, uh, consciously. So thank you for that. Well, it is so important that we learn to recognize which character are we in, which character are we spending a lot of time in, and the book will take you through, as you mentioned, you went through those chapters, you get to know each of your four characters, and at the end of each chapter are specific questions, questions like, do you recognize this part of yourself? If you do, when, how much time do you spend as this character, and when does that character come out? And if you don't recognize this character inside of you, let's explore maybe someone in the external world suppressed your ability to actually develop that part of yourself. I also ask you to give a name to your specific character because they like it. They are parts of yourself. And if we live our lives as we currently are, where we think everything is just kind of all smushed together inside of our head and we're just one person, then conflicting thoughts and conflicting emotions don't make any sense at all. But when you understand your four characters, you get to know, oh, it's my character too that is feeling fear of rejection, which is why it is saying, no, I don't want to say yes to that invitation or to that person where other parts of me might be saying, well, that's okay. We understand that. And we're going to keep an eye out for ourselves and we're going to think rationally and we're going to organize ourselves and we're never going to override our emotions, but we're going to communicate and, and we're going to use all the resources of our brain uh, in every instance in every circumstance. And by doing that, we're actually really living a very conscious life instead of just running on automatic, especially our worry, our anger, our fear, our fear of the future, our racism, everything. 
Wow. Yeah, that's uh, so powerful. And I think, again, you know, for folks who have not read the book yet, um, it's a phenomenal book. I, I've read hundreds of books. And I, mean, I think that the concepts in here are so revolutionary and can help a lot of people. So please, please check it out. Uh, and Jill, you also talk about how the four characters map to the hero's journey. Uh, can you say more about that? You know, I love the hero's journey. Um, the hero's journey, I wanted to look at the hero's journey from the perspective of the four characters. And if you're familiar with the hero's journey, then, then you know, first, somewhere along the line, you have a calling. And it might be, okay, uh, it's time for me to kind of analyze my life. Um, it's a new time. You know, we have all around this world uh, dealt with a pandemic that has really brought out, I think, for many of us, our best and our greatest fears. And so now that, that the vaccine is becoming more prominent and it's possible that the world will be opening up a little more, we're kind of looking at what's the new what's the new normal that we want what we have changed so much of our lives what what of our previous life do we want to bring forward and what do we want to maybe have less of and then that opens space up for something new so as we're looking at this this is actually kind of the same thing as a calling of our hero's journey in order for the hero's journey i get the calling that it's time for me to reflect there's a potential for change and i am in exploration of something new well the left brain is the rational thinker that it knows what it knows it does what it does it thinks what it thinks it feels what it feels but it's not open really to new information. So by definition, a hero's journey, we have to be willing to step out of our ego center left brain and step into the possibilities of the present moment. And so we, we heed the calling of the hero's journey. We lay down our sword. We lay down our ego. We lay down our method and what, our, all of our perception of self. Don't worry. It's not going anywhere. You're just taking a little cognitive shift. It's all right. It, it'll be right there as soon as you need it again. But because it wants to fight. It says, no, I'm, I'm who I am. I don't want to explore more because that's a threat to me and my and it's like, no, it's not. You've got the we and they over there and the other half of your brain. So if we're willing to then just say, okay, I'm willing to come out and explore new possibilities and new ideas, that information streams in from the right hemisphere. So the hero is laying down his ego, stepping out of his left brain, stepping into the right brain. And the monsters that the hero battles along the way is that little character two's fear saying, saying, oh, no, I, I can't. I can't be friends with them because that's against my principles of, of how I look and think and what I feel safe in. And it's like, mm, it's okay. Let's open to new possibilities. So we step into the consciousness of our right brain purposefully and we explore new creative ideas of what is interesting and how might I be more more and different in my life in order to to really become the person I want to be. And it's so important that we ask ourselves the question, 
Who is the person I want to be? Am I living my best self? What is my best self? How do I find out what that pos- what that means? And ultimately it means lower stress and in my opinion, lower stress and more open to the flow and the possibilities and the love that there is in the universe between different people in humanity. Our ultimate, our number one job, I firmly believe, is to love one another. That's our job. We come into this life to love one another. And that is through the consciousness of that right brain. And when we lay down ourselves and our swords and I have to be right and it's got to be my way and I'm better than you and you are wrong, when we lay all that down and we actually find comfort and freedom in the experience of the journey, then we gain this wisdom and this open awareness. And then in the hero's journey, the journey, the hero goes back into the left brain, but now the left brain has opened itself to new possibility. So that left brain is no longer rigid and as structured as before. That person can then either decide, do I bring back from my right brain exploration, the gifts that I've gained and the things that I've learned and live that and share that with others? Or do I say, no, that was a nice trip, but no, I'm not comfortable with that. And I go back to my, my familiar fears of my past and my future. Jill, you know, you had your own uh, hero's journey through this process, and I would love for you to talk about your kind of journey of recovery and rehabilitation uh, from your stroke, and maybe just touch on the my stroke of insight for folks who maybe have not read that, because I think it would be really interesting to talk about your application of the hero's journey um, through your own life and journey. Yeah, so uh, I was a brain scientist at Harvard, uh, teaching and performing research. Uh, My area of specialty, I have a brother diagnosed with schizophrenia. So uh, because of him, I became very interested in how does our brain create our perception of reality? Because it was clear that his perception of reality and my perception of reality were very different. We could have the exact same experience and walk away with very different interpretations about what just happened. So I believed that this was a biological issue. And so that's why I became fascinated with the brain. So then I grew up, I grew up in Indiana and then I got educated about the brain and I went to Harvard and I got trained there for my postdoctoral training. And, um, Uh, specialized in schizophrenia. So I was teaching and performing research and just fascinated with how, what are the biological differences at a cellular level between the brains of normal people and the brains of people who experience hallucination and delusion or depression and mania or OCD or panic anxiety. So I, I kept looking at a cellular, you know, at a cellular level, how are we wired differently? Why is it my brother can hallucinate and I can't. So um, I was just fascinated with all that. And then on December 10, 1996, I woke up and I had a major hemorrhage in my left hemisphere. And inside of the course of four hours, my, my left hemisphere went completely offline, circuit by circuit, and I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. So my left hemisphere shut down completely, but I still had 
a very functional right hemisphere. So I became right here, right now, present moment. So my characters one and two went offline, but my characters three and four, I got to know very well without the inhibitions coming across from my characters one and two. So um, I two and a half weeks after the stroke, I had a major surgery uh, in the Harvard system where they removed a blood clot at the size of a golf ball. And they sewed up my head and said, you know, go recover, do your best. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, people didn't, I don't think, have high hopes because this is major brain trauma. And but I believed through the eyes of a scientist, but just as a as a human being who adored this beautiful organ, I believed in the ability of my brain to recover. And I believed that if anything had any wisdom on what it needed to recover, it was the brain itself. And my mother fortunately believed that as well. So my mother came to my life, came back, moved in with me, and she became my caregiver. And she taught me how to walk and talk and read and write and speak and everything. She just taught me everything from the beginning. And uh, she was magnificent. And she watched what was the next obstacle in my way of learning to be able to do the next level of something. So she let my ability direct my rehabilitation instead of bring rehabilitation to me, which is a completely opposite way of looking at how we heal. So um, it took eight years for me to recover. And I documented that in the book, My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey. And during that eight years, I step by step by step by step rebuilt specific circuits in my left brain. And I realized that it wasn't just I was rebuilding Helen's character one skill set, I was rebuilding Helen. And Helen wanted to come back online once she got recovered enough. And she wanted to take over being the boss inside of my head again. And because I'd been very obviously left brain driven in order to be at Harvard studying brains in the first place. So um, so I said, no, my right hemisphere said, yeah, you know, we want you as a part of our team, we value you. We have to have language. We have to be able to create order. We have to be punctual. We have to be able to control our environment so that we can function rationally in the external world. But we don't want you to run the show anymore because you bring a lot of stress to our lives. And so so there was a negotiation actually at the character level inside of my brain. And little Abby, those cells died uh, many of those, they went completely offline and I had to rebuild uh, little Abby and, um, and little Abby is back to experiencing fear in the world. And, and I don't want her to dominate because she's kind of cranky and whiny and unhappy and, and always looking for a reason to say no. And I don't want that to dominate my life. So, so we're negotiating inside of my head. Well, Who is the boss? Well, at what moment? Like right now I'm on with you. Helen is here. Helen's got the glasses on. She's got the earrings in. She's got a clean shirt on, you know? So, uh, so Helen knows enough to show up. 
Uh, little Abby's not here complaining about, oh my gosh, la 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 la. And uh, Pigpen is, uh, you know, she's she's not here right now because she's jittery and she wants to go play. Uh, but Queen Toad is always there. She's always bringing that love and she's in control of my world. So I look at these four consciousnesses inside my head as separate consciousnesses. We all have them. And our consciousness is not a single thing. It is a braid of these four characters weaving together. And at any moment in time, I can pick which one I'm going to be and which one, which other ones are, are going to, to not be dominant in that moment. And we all have this power and it's beautiful. And when you get to know your own four characters, all of a sudden now you're looking at other people and you're recognizing their four characters. Have you been doing that? Since you've been reading the book? Yes, yes. It's, well, at least in my closest uh, relationships. Exactly. Yeah, it's very obvious now. And I'm so fascinated, you know, again, by my emotional, um, what was it, character two? Because um, for me, I think also uh, as a Iraqi American, um, you know, my parents are, are from Iraq. And so it's interesting also how I have probably created a lot of survival, you know, tactics, um, emotionally that I've just inherited. So I think it's, it's really, um, you know, game changing. And Jill, I wanted to talk about, you know, the chances that you had the opportunity to study a stroke from the inside out in your position at the age of 37. I mean, it's just so incredible that you had this opportunity. Um, I mean, do you think it was- uh, Isn't it though? It was an opportunity. <laughs> I mean, you know, so many people would be going, my little character too would be going, oh my God, I fell off the Harvard ladder at the age of 37. I'm in the prime of my life. How horrible. And it's like, okay, well, that's her opinion. But you know, <laughs> characters three and four, they're good with it. So I love that you say this opportunity. <laughs> Because it was. Yeah, it's just so incredible that you you had that that opportunity. And I think, you know, how many people even survive strokes? I, I you know, don't know a, a tremendous amount about uh, the stats on strokes, but I just find it so interesting that you're able to, you know, rehabilitate yourself and that you also just got to experience, um, you know, the what it was like to observe this whole phenomenon um, through your lens. You know, I feel very blessed. Um, uh, I, I, and I'm glad that I lost the left hemisphere instead of the right hemisphere because <laughs> the right hemisphere is grateful. I did not die that day. I did not die that day. And you're absolutely right. A hemorrhagic stroke like that, I was, I was at the end of the road of life. I was as, as disconnected from ever getting this body to function again as anybody could be and not be dead. So I know how detached and far away I went and how dissipated I had become. And I, I survived. And there's this tiny little voice inside saying, ah, but I'm alive, I'm alive. <laughs> and so it's like I could never have any, any sadness or any, any, any just you know, all these negative emotions about myself. Oh my God, I'm not worthy anymore. I used to be a Harvard doctor and now look at me, I'm drooling. You know, I didn't have any of that because those cells in that left emotional brain 
went offline. So I didn't have to manage any of that because that was all gone. I had no idea about what my job had been. I, I knew no one in the external world. I didn't know what a mother was, much less who my mother was, because that's one of those details that the left brain needs in order to function rationally in the external world uh, and to create order there. So so for me, I, I feel very, I just feel very blessed, you know, and, and I have to say that the that, so the stroke happened in 96 and I, uh, my, my, my stroke of insight, uh, was published by Penguin in 2008. And, um, if anybody's really interested in the story or you want to know more about it, the Ted talk, my stroke of insight was the first one to go viral because it, it, it's, it's whole brain. I mean, it's beautiful. So I encourage you to have that experience. Um, but as you, as you, as a, an American Iranian, um, I mean, the level of, of racism that you have experienced simply because you look different than, which is weird because, you know, what is America other than a milk? <laughs> part of everything, right? But you you have, because we were at war, I mean, all of a sudden, I'm sure the suppression and the oppression that you would have felt as a young American would have been, uh, am I safe? You would move into your little character too and say, am I safe? Because you actually had fingers being pointed at you. And now we're doing this with the Chinese Americans. And, and it's, it's that little character too. So anytime anybody experiences uh, racism coming at you from someone else, just know that that is their left emotional brain, their little character too. And they are acting that way because you don't feel familiar. And if you don't feel familiar at the level of their brain, you don't feel safe. Now, if you come at them with your little character too, then whenever you have a character two and a character two at war, there they will never be a resolution. So whether it's our child who is unhappy in their little character two, or someone is projecting racism on you, and because their character two is full force, it is. We have these other three characters designed to actually hold the space for these people. Just because someone is spitting venom at me doesn't mean one that it's real or two. I have to. I have to. You know, feel anything about it other than sympathy for the fact that you feel so horrible inside of your brain and your body that you need to project all that garbage on me. Right. Now, I have a character one that comes online and says, well, is there something we need to do physically in order to make ourselves more safe? Are we in danger? And the character four can come online and very lovingly just look at that person and acknowledge their need to spit their venom. And then I'm probably going to use my character one to remove myself from that environment. Or my character three is going to come in and kind of want to play with them. Not in a mean way, not like a cat and a mouse, but in a positive way and, and model for them that I'm a decent human being and I'm sorry that you're feeling the way you are, but I'm really clear that my four characters are me and I'm good and I'm okay. And I'm, I actually have joy in my life because I'm focused on the fact that I have a bigger purpose in this world than to worry about the fact that you don't 
don't get me or you're experiencing your own, you know, character to fear and throwing that my way. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry for you. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, but I don't need to tip for tat with you. I don't need to get in a fight with you. I can send you love from afar and move on with my life. Yeah. And I think, um, and just a, a quick note, I'm actually Iraqi American, not Iranian American, but that's, you know, i Iranian Americans have, you know, suffered the same kind of discrimination yeah. for sure. So, um, yeah, I think it's so uh, interesting how my character too. So the emotional left brain thinking, I think because it became more pronounced when I was younger, I think I also made my emotional right brain, like this oneness, this expansiveness, it kind of like broke me open to the collective sort of oneness. And it made me a lot more compassionate. Uh, and I think knowing that, um, you know, life is so fragile too, like just seeing what the costs of war have been. So it's interesting how sometimes, um, the, th- you know, having a character threatened could also maybe open up other characters perception of reality. And so it's been a really interesting experience. And I'm, I was so moved by that book, uh, Jill, um, you, you spoke about your mother and how important she was to your rehabilitation. And it just really moved me. Um, you know, I'm curious how this moment has changed your relationship with your parents and your community and just how you perceive your life. Um, okay. So before we go there, I want to give you a great example of a brain huddle. Okay. Because it, that was a beautiful That was a great, first of all, my little two, First of all, I apologize. Um, the the uh, there was a little family that lived across from me. They were Iranian, and uh, the little girl has grown up to now become my doctor. And um, oh. so, because my right brain was very open and very curious, and I love this family, so I was thinking Iranian. Now, my character one, my character four is good with the fact that I made that mistake. My little character two could be coming in, going, "See, I'm just not good. I'm not smart enough." To she told me what she was and now I've made it up and, and now I was wrong and, and I'm bad. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's little character two potential response. My character one is saying, well, how unprofessional of me. I didn't pay attention. I knew that I saw it in the bio. I understand better, but now I'm looking bad, you know, so they're off doing their stuff. And in the meantime, I'm good because I know you're good, <laughs> you know, and I'm good anyway. And if I am good, then you're good. And it's like, uh, even if you were mad at me, let's say, uh, 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 you, it's like, oh, this, this, this girl, you know, she's, she's had a stroke, her brain's not working. What am I doing interviewing her? She can't even remember what, what my heritage is. And, uh, even if you were like that, uh, my right brain is going to be going, you know, I'm good that I made that mistake. And so that's just, I wanted to bring that mm-hmm. in because that's a little brain huddle type of conversation where all of the characters come into the conversation, but which one do I let dominate? And if I let the little character to dominate, then I'd be feeling bad about myself and about the interview. My character one would be feeling like, oh, you know, I just really need to get all these details straight and, and like write them all down so that I have them for every interview that I give, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and cause they're all there all the time. So anyway, so I do apologize for that. Um, oh, yeah. I did, I did make that mistake anyway. So, um, 
Okay, now I forgot what your question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it was amazing. Thank you so much for walking us through that. It's so interesting how I think we can all, um, that character too, just can get really down uh, on ourselves um, for something so simple. And then most of the, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, the other person's like, I, I don't even, are we still on that? You know, like it's just so, it's so interesting. Um, and by the way, according to the 23andMe, I am actually a mix of Iranian and Iraqi. So you weren't wrong. <laughs> I just didn't tell you that. <laughs> um, so I, my question was what moved me so much uh, was your relationship with your mother and how, you know, I think you left Boston to go move back to Indiana to be closer to your family. I think that's, you're still in Indiana maybe. Um, I am. Yeah. And I just, I was so moved by that because I think going through that experience, it was obvious that, um, you sort of saw the world differently. You had a new perception of what it meant to be in community, what it meant to be around family. And so I wanted to just, yeah, see what your thoughts are on that. Well, I shifted from, you know, my left brain had been climbing. It was very career-based. If you would have asked my mother, what's the difference between Jill pre-stroke and post-stroke? She responded, um, pre-stroke, she was very career-based and career-oriented. She was climbing uh, her academic ladder, and she was uh, a high achiever, and she was winning awards, and she was at the top. I mean, I, really, I was at Harvard Medical School. It was fantastic. Uh, Boston is a mecca for neuro in the world. It's fantastic. And then after the stroke, I became much more... Um, much more related to uh, love. And my mother was 70. My father was uh, close to 80, 81 or so. And it was like, you know, I have precious little time with these people alive. I want to be with them. And they became my priority. So I came home to Indiana and um, I just had marvelous relationships with mom and dad, and I love them both. They're fantastic human beings. Um, and uh, I ended up, they both passed away in 2015. Um, so dad was 96 at the time. So, you know, that was a good long life. That was okay. But Gigi was 89. And I always thought Gigi would live to 105 because she was in fantastic shape. And, um, and so she, she, she really died very unexpectedly within five months of a diagnosis. So, um, so that was, that was like, you know, my identity. It's like, okay, well, who am I now? Mm -hmm. And, um, so, and I had been looking, I, I had been thinking about this material because I realized that, um, people now love talking about the brain. It's a great hot topic. And they know that we have an amygdala and we have a, hi a hippocampus for learning and memorizing. But I realize that people in general don't realize we have two amygdala and two hippocampi. And that changes everything because that means the we have these two emotional systems that are completely separate. And I thought if people understood that they have two separate emotional brains, one in the present moment experiential and one in the past of all those heavy duty emotions, then all of a sudden emotional conflict can begin to make some sense. And so um, uh, I spent several years working on this material, sharing 
sharing it with people, letting it become easier to verbalize and have it make more sense. Uh, and then I started writing the book about two years ago, and now the book is coming out. So um, so it's been a beautiful journey, but I did shift priorities. I shifted priorities to, to being with people I love. But the biggest difference, Jasmine, is that um, before I made life happen, I went to school, I got a degree, I, I got excellent at this, I learned these skills, I, I did this in the lab, I organized this way, I won these awards, I climbed that ladder, I did it. Now, I let the world happen around me, and I pick and choose what I want to engage in. And it's completely different way of living your life, it's a completely different perspective. And when I do it this way, there's no stress involved because I chose this and I chose that. And when you do that, it leaves space. You know, the universe loves nothing more than a void to rush stuff right in as possibility. But you can't say yes to everything that comes down your path because maybe not everything is a yes. Maybe everything in a yes is not what you really want. Maybe it's not a path you really want to follow. So for example, I will have an opportunity, let's say um, someone came to me and said, we're going to do a documentary on the brain and we want you to narrate it. And I say, um, does that mean you want me to read a script? And they'll say, well, yeah, you'll know, you will have it go by and you read it. I, you know, I do that like this and I read like this and it's like horrible. And I'm thinking, this is not my skill set. Right? <laughs> now, if you want to come to me and interview me and let me be uh, impromptu and follow these ideas where they go, I can give you a heck of an interview. But if you make me script, which is very left brain, I just not a skill set. So I say no to that. Now, I might have made a lot of money doing that, and I might have gotten a lot of fame doing that, but that's not my priority. My priority is how do I use me to the best of my skill sets and my abilities that really serve my purpose? And my purpose, I guess I'm going to boil it down to this is to help people understand their own brain, understand their own four characters and how to have the brain huddle. Because ultimately, if your character four, which is all about love, is a part of the conversation going on inside of your head with any choice you make, you're going to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. And you're going to make it from the consciousness of how do I bring my love into the world and help that grow. Oh, wow. I am just so inspired by this, Jill. Thank you. And I also, I know we're running out of time. I have so many more questions. So I'm going to be very uh, thoughtful about the last uh, couple ones. And I love just, I want to, you know, respond to, to your, um, a comment. I love that you're now selecting things that come into your life rather than it almost feels like pushing against or, um, you know, yeah, it's because it's, it's so interesting also that you said that whenever there's a vacuum that you can, you know, the universe wants to fill it. Like there's always, you know, moments of, of space that just get filled and, and then being the control, the controller of what you want to bring in and what you want to let, let in, um, is so powerful. And I also think it's just an easier life rather than, 
um, trying to dominate life, um, to just be and to accept and receive, I think is a very difficult thing in our kind of capitalistic society because it just hasn't been um, rewarded for so long. And, or I think it hasn't been maybe explained. <laughs> um, so Jill, you say in your, in your kind of signature, um, you say, please take responsibility for the energy that you bring. It was also something that came up in my stroke of insight. And I just want to talk about that real quick. Cause I think that's such an important takeaway. Um, you mentioned, uh, in my stroke of insight that when nurses were coming in to take care of you, uh, or just in general, and when anyone was coming in to talk to you or take care of you, you could feel the way that their energy, uh, took up the space and, how has that uh, changed since now you've gotten, you know, character one, character two, and your left brain back? Do you still feel people when they walk into spaces? And, you know, how are you able to sort of uh, regulate that? Um, so, yeah, beautiful question. Um, so going back to the right brain is open and expansive and connected to all the energy. I mean, I am nothing other than cells, cells that are made up of molecules and atoms and, and it's in a fluid movement. Uh, cells are living beings. They eat, they create waste. The body collects all these cells together that do different functions. I mean, we are this magnificent collection of some 50 trillion molecular geniuses. Now, when you live your life like the energy ball that you are as 50 trillion magnificent geniuses, that's very different than when I sit in my left brain and I see myself, I'm an individual, I'm a solid, I'm separate from you, I have a brain, uh, these parts, these are my priorities, this is my nya, 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 nya. Uh, this is my stress circuitry, but my world is like functioning the way that, you know, I want it to be. And I'm a perfectionist and I want things to be just right. And I'm going to be unhappy if they're not just right. So, oh my gosh. And if I'm not happy, you better not be happy either because that's how that left brain is. So if you have these two very different ways of being, the right hemisphere is the flow of energy. I am the life force power of the universe packaged together as this magnificent collection of cells. So if someone comes in, I have my intuitive open possibility mind that is looking at facial expression, looking at how somebody holds their body, listening to the intonation of their voice, listening to the words they are saying, but it's a big package. I'm not just about what someone says versus how someone behaves. So, um, uh, you know, this is, this is a tool we all have and people can train themselves to be more intuitive, to be more open-minded to possibility, to sit back and take the, the bird's eye view so that instead of, of just being focused on the details, details, we're looking at how how does it all relate and how does it all feel and how does your energy feel inside of my body? Because I've got mirror neurons that are do, 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 picking up on what you're feeling. So if you're all stressed out, I can feel that anxiety. We all know when we walk into a room and there's been a fight going on, well, you can tell that because your intuitive energetic self is receiving that information. So we are each of these four characters have very different skill sets 
And when I lost the left brain, I became all about the energy of the space because that's all I was. I didn't have language. So I had to take the big picture perspective of what am I interacting with? And so that, of course, is a skill that I have maintained because it's important to me. And it's been important to me to remain right brain dominant and to come into the world based on the skills and the values of my right hemisphere, but I use the left brain characters as tools in my external world so that I can perform at optimal their skills. So it's really about whole brain living. It's about knowing each of the parts of who I am and letting them all be a part of how I live my life. Beautiful. And Jill, I love that. I love that, you know, you're relying a lot on your intuition, um, as well as all the other characters, right? Like it's a, it's like you said, it's the brain huddle. Um, what is your main takeaway? If you could tell our listeners anything, what would you want them to know? And, and also what has surprised you the most? And they have two separate questions. Um, first I want people to know that we have much more power over what's going on inside of our brain than we have ever been taught. And I truly believe that this book, Whole Brain Living, I never had any intention of writing another book. Uh, I don't perceive myself as an author. Uh, it's not my thing. Uh, apparently it is my thing. Uh, but this book, Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice and the Four Characters That Drive Our Life, I believe this material is the greatest gift I will ever give to my fellow man. I feel this is why I, I was spared life that day and why I did not die. So if you, if anybody's interested in knowing themselves better and improving their relationship within themselves, uh, we have more power over what's going on than we were ever taught. Um, I think the biggest surprise. Yes. The biggest surprise. <laughs> that's a good one. I'm pondering. <laughs> I think the biggest surprise is how simple the material is mm. for people to understand, relate to themselves, and find that they do have that power. I think it's what is surprising to me is how simple the material is and how, uh, how the book breaks down the material so that you really know who is your character one. You explore that person, that part of you. Who is your character two and your three and your four? How do those characters relate to your body and your own health and your own well-being? And and what's going on in, ro in uh, romantic relationships and what's happening with addiction and um and, and just, you know, how has technology influenced the predominance of these four characters over the last hundred years? I think it's beautiful and relatively simple. And I love people now, you know, people are already reading it or listening to it um, for interviews and people get it and, and it will change your life. Amen. It will change your life. Uh, it's already changed mine. And uh, Jill, you are such a treasure. I'm so grateful that you also were spared and have helped so many people. 
you know, not only just folks who have had parents or loved ones experience strokes, but, you know, folks that are just going, like you said, through all types of myriad of issues like addiction and um, relationship issues. I think that this book is going to transform so many people's way of operating in the world. So thank you so much for writing it. And thank you so much for your time. Are there any resources that you can point folks to in order to learn more about you, uh, your website? And of course, the book can be found on Amazon. So, um, yeah, drjilltaylor.com is, uh, where, where I hang out. Um, the, the book, the, uh, Hay House is taking that over and they're going to make me hip. Uh, I'm going to be on social media. Well, that ought to be fun and interesting. Shouldn't it? Because it's going to be, it's going to be probably little pig pen diving in or little Helen diving in. I mean, the beauty of this material is it's so fun to talk about. So, um, uh, you know, it really does have the power to change your life and it's easy to understand. People say, oh, it's written by a brain scientist. And it's like, forget that. She lost her brain, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it's simple. Uh, it's written so that everybody can understand it. And, um, and I really, uh, I look forward to, to, you know, six months from now when lots of people are speaking this language, because it's the kind of material that once you know your four characters, you want your loved ones and you want your kids and you want your parents and you want your colleagues at work to all know about their four characters so that when somebody moves into their character, Character two, we don't shame and we don't blame and we don't guilt and we don't hang out at them. Instead, we support them and we love them and we help them move beyond that. So from the moment you think a thought, you feel an emotion, you run a chemical into your bloodstream, it floods through you and flushes out of you. From the beginning of the time you think that thought until that emotion is out of your body is less than 90 seconds. So um, learning the 90-second rule on top of everything else, it's just, you know, don't we all want to start living a little more consciously and a little less slave to the brain, slave to the monkey mind, and slave to our emotional reactivity? This is freedom from that. I, I think we've been looking for it for a very long time. Yes, absolutely, Jill. Thank you so much. And we'll put all the uh, resources in the show notes so that people can access where to buy the book, um, how to find you, your website. Thank you again so much for your time, Jill. I'm just so delighted to have the opportunity to connect with you and learn more about your journey and your story and why you wrote the book and also just about the four characters. And I'll, uh, I'm excited to also give them names today as well. <laughs> so Good. thank Good. you so much. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And, um, uh, you know, our number one job is to love one another. And that's what we're doing. Oh, so beautiful. So for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about whole brain living and the four characters with Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one -on -one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.